0: I mean the weirdest thing is like the stories that I'm telling you about these gang rapes and these horrific acts of violence, that's everyone. Everyone is telling these stories. And you go into a town and the first thing that people will do there is take you to the side of the road and they're like, That's a mass grave, that's a mass grave, that's a mass grave. And then they'll tell you about how their friend was shot in the head or their cousin was strangled or something. It's like every place. These soldiers have just torn through these towns like plagues of locusts.
1: This is The Way Podcast. The militias needed to have a heads up. Oh, I was coming. I personally think they
0: didn't, you know, like in chess. So that's how deep the addiction goes. You know, I've been incarcerated most of my life. I'm having a know. conversation
1: with... Or they've been given no option, either join or die. Snipers, and it was a military... J. Cole came and hung out most of the fire session. I'm standing at the studio blast looking out into the studio... If you want to know more about The Way Podcast, go to PodcastTheWay.com. This is FM 91.7, WHS Stores at the top of the hour. I'm your host, Billy Trofeski, and like the introduction said, be sure to go to PodcastTheWay.com. All right, I'm sitting today with Sean Williams a journalist for the new yorker the economist bbc gq harper's wired and my favorite the guardian just among a list of them (laughs) so (laughs) yeah yeah. did i um did i get half of them
0: (laughs) yeah i don't know i don't even know these days there's so many of them but uh i'm a freelancer let's just say that
1: (laughs) (laughs) there you go no constraints plus you got your own podcast too
0: yeah underworld uh me and uh Me and one of your compatriots called Danny Gold have got a podcast about organized crime around the world. So it kind of dovetails with a lot of what we report on. Um, Yes, it's it's been a while now. It's pretty cool.
1: There you go. Are you going to make an episode on what we're going to talk about
0: today, like down the road? Yeah, we've got, we're kind of relaunching the podcast uh, next week. So while I was out, um, while I was out, what we're going to talk about, I, I did some kind of audio reporting and. So, we're going to try and do something a little bit different, maybe a bit more documentary about what's going on there, uh, maybe in like a week or two.
1: Sounds good. Looking forward to it.
0: So, to jump right in, you
1: spent how long in Ethiopia?
0: Uh, I was just there for like three weeks, I think it was in total, something like that, a bit longer maybe.
1: All right. Three weeks. And you were covering the Tigray, I said the other country, right? Tigray? <laughs> uh,
0: Tigray. That's like the region in the north. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's why it had the red underlining because I added an extra R. (laughs) But yeah, there have been a conflict going down that you went to report. But before the conflict, like, what was the country like outside of the mess going on? Like, what
0: was just the regular people, folk like? I mean, it was just, uh, I kind of wanted to go there for so long. Like, I wanted to go as a tourist. It's like the cradle of humanity. There's the oldest ever human found there, and there's the Rift Valley. Yeah, yeah, Lucy, I think she's called. She's in a museum mm-hmm. somewhere. Um, and it's got all these rock cut churches. I didn't see any of that. Uh, <laughs> oh, so I, didn't, I didn't get to see anything. I decided halfway through, I wasn't going to even try to see anything like vaguely touristy. So, um, yeah, maybe in better times I can go back there and see some of this cool stuff. But uh, for now, um, kind of the darker side.
1: Why well, weren't you able to see it? Because you were so focused reporting, or it's just the place is kind of in a hectic uh situation where it's kind of dangerous to go out and about
0: yeah kind of three reasons i mean one of one of them was the yeah i was just like crazy at it with this story um it's like super hard to get information there the government really doesn't want anyone talking about what it's up to um and then yeah i mean yeah that makes it really hard to get around There's roadblocks there's kind of paperwork to be done people screwing up paperwork and screaming at you through the car window so it's not an easy place to be going on a road trip um and then i just got really ill as well because apparently there's loads of issues with ethiopian food but that's the most boring of the three reasons
1: (laughs) okay then and to start off ethiopia is it split up into like states like the u.s or is it how is it split up
0: yeah the u.s is kind of a pretty decent analogy actually like Ethiopia is definitely not a country, like it's an empire. Um, It's gone back, like it's one of the oldest continuous countries in existence on Earth. Um, Its history goes back, I think, like 3,000 years or something. And because of that, and because it's never been conquered by Europeans during the race for Africa and colonization, it's kind of just been this group of regions. Each one's got its own culture, language. Through history, they've had wars with each other um so the idea of ethiopia is really kind of differs depending on who you're speaking to especially at the current situation so yeah i mean it's it's a it's a really weird country and it's it's one that's worth looking into because of uh, the like past going back forever but uh yeah it's more an empire it's a bit like a a bit like the us a bit like the uk i mean uk is like four different countries thrown together
1: gotcha so it's not like their issues aren't like the say middle east where america put like straight or england or i forget the exact like put strict lines between countries or central america where uh, people came and they just put these lines that weren't too well and that's what caused future conflicts like ethiopia they're having like cultural conflicts going on like just by themselves
0: well actually yeah there was some line drawing by the white colonials there (laughs) um So the reason that Eritrea, which is north of Ethiopia, is even an independent state is because the Italians came in at the end of the 19th century um, and kind of took it over. In the war, uh, Mussolini tried to take Ethiopia, but he actually got beaten and in sort of Tigray, this northern region where the war's happening now. And that's the only ever time that a European army has been defeated by a native African one in history. So that kind of adds to this like proud history of the Ethiopian nation. But yeah, there were some pretty dodgy line drawing around that time as well. Gotcha.
1: And um, that country you just said, uh, Eritrea, did I say that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So they yeah. were a part of Ethiopia, right? But then they sort of broke free, maybe like what, 1990s?
0: Yeah, they had a war going back to 61, uh, took 30 years. And then at the fall, because... Ethiopia at the time was run by this kind of like cabal Soviet-backed generals. When the Soviet Union fell, their money fell apart and they got taken over by, well, some of the guys who are now part of the war. Uh, but Eritrea, yeah, as a result, won its independence and uh, it's never had an election since. It's kind of this hermit kingdom um, run by this like moustache dictator. They have endless military constriction uh, and a lot of people call it Africa's North Korea. I mean, that's a pretty decent title for it.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. So instead, though, you went to Ethiopia. So yeah, now that we established like the countries and neighborhoods, what's going on in Ethiopia right now?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of impossible to frame this conflict without kind of going back to a few cycles of violence that have happened before. So, like we were just speaking about Eritrea when it's independence in 91 and then a few years after that they went to war over the border that had been drawn by the Italians with Ethiopia um like they thought was, they wanted more land or like yeah yeah it's a it's a really weird war like it all kicked off in some town that's not really a town it's just a name on a map there's some there's some great writing by the new york times weirdly at the, at the time but um it turned into this like incredibly violent like horrible dirty conflict uh, and that was a war directly with the people of Tigray, who by then had kind of taken control of the government of Ethiopia. And that was kind of a bit of an improbable thing seeing as Tigray is only home to like 6 million of 110 million in Ethiopia. So this war came to a stalemate. It goes up to all the way to like 2018. It's kind of this, uh, they call it no war, no peace. So there's always a kind of bit of tension on the border. Um, and then this kind of like fresh-faced young guy called Abiy Ahmed comes into power and he's like a bit of a populist, a bit of a right-wing kind of rabble rouser in the, in the sort of mold of a Donald Trump or a Joe Bolsonaro, someone like that. And then he's like, okay, screw these guys from Tigray. They've been running the country into the dirt. We're going to get rid of the elites. You know, I'm fighting for you guys. I want to get rid of the bad guys who have sent our country down the toilet. So yeah, you can already see the kind of parallels between this and a lot of the stuff that's going on around the world. And he actually broke his peace with his counterpart in Eritrea for the first time in, what, 20 years? Uh, Everyone coos over this guy. He welcomes foreign investors in. The country grows. The economy grows. He was doing a good job in like the beginning. Well, yeah. I mean, it depends on how early you see him kind of brewing this war, because like, The Nobel peace prize was awarded to him in 2019 for this peace that he brokered with Eritrea, but you could see the kind of buds of this conflict already coming out then. And basically there seems to have been a deal between him and Eritrea to just attack the people in Tigray based on what Ethiopia had gone through in the past. So it's kind of like, there's a lot of like parallels between this and the Holocaust, because the people of Tigray are seen as kind of rich elites stealing from the population and they're also seen as kind of poor and unwashed and somehow like not worthy of citizenship and they've been kind of confused with these people from their region who run the country so it's kind of a useful lie that everyone tells to kind of justify horrible stuff.
1: It's like using them as an escape goat like they're all our problems they're the reason for it.
0: Yeah absolutely like there's no doubt that the people who ran the country from Tigray were pretty corrupt and they had this kind of police state and there were lots of human rights abuses going on but i mean their own people were just poor hard working trying to get by and and they've been made the scapegoats for that entire period of Ethiopia's past
1: so up until 2018 did they have control over Ethiopia like were they the ones in political power
0: yeah for from 91 to 2018 they were head of this kind of conglomeration of former rebel groups who fought the communists who came together and they were the most powerful kind of rebel force in that group of four major regions. But after that they kind of took a stranglehold on it, installed their cronies and their mates in government. And uh yeah, I mean they they ran it they ran the country with an iron fist and um they were pretty bad by all accounts. Um but that doesn't justify what came yeah. afterwards. Gadget. Gotcha. So
1: it was like they were doing a poor job, like they're top elites. But now as a result, they're in conflict with Ethiopia. Now, like everybody's suffering in that district or state.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it all kicked off kind of the last or the summer of 2019. Um, there were some people arrested. There were guys like these kind of generals from this Tigray group. They're called the TPLF, by the way. It's like a super Marxist Leninist group. Um mm-hmm. And people were just like, okay, this is starting to go downhill a bit, and the and the rhetoric on both sides was getting a bit more angry. And then in September, the TPLF ran up their own vote in uh Tigray to, to just elect a new leader. Of course, that's kind of BS because it's not really a democracy. But uh Abi Ahmed, this kind of fresh-faced goatee guy uh, who's prime minister, he's like, No, 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 that's illegal. And then from then on, it kind of tumbled further and further towards crisis. And then in November, the TPLF attacks military bases across Tigray. The military's like, all right, that's our excuse. And they just go on the rampage. And it's been going ever since. Gotcha.
1: And also, like, back, you said it's not really a democracy. Like, they do a vote, but they kind of know who's going to win, regardless of who wins the popular vote.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I, I don't even need to say this, but, you know, to to kind of illustrate the point the tplf won 98.2 the vote <laughs> oh. so that's yeah. uh that's that's getting up there with like mal <laughs> kind of territory the prime minister
1: he doesn't like the vote and he uses that as an excuse to invade into Tigray, along with what's the country just north of ethiopia eritrea yeah eritrea yeah, yeah. so weren't they rivals prior to this like they Why are they now allies against this state?
0: Yeah, I mean, so the dictator in Eritrea, through this war that happened, like in the late nineties, he kind of had to withdraw in the end of this war. And there's all sorts of stuff about revenge, embarrassment. And of course, at that time, the TPLF and Tigray, they were the ones in control of Ethiopia. So for Eritrea too, it represents a chance to kind of get back, get the ultimate revenge at their kind of sworn enemy. And this time around, they just happen to be able to use the Ethiopian prime minister to do that. So these people are just like strangled from both sides. They can't really go anywhere. And even on the west, there's another Ethiopian region that's committing militias that's killing citizens in the west of Tigray. So they're kind of surrounded by enemies on all sides.
1: So is Ethiopia, like now, are they invading Tigray? And are they bombing? Are they the... Bad guys, or is he Gary the bad guys? I know it's hard to say direct this guy's good, this guy's bad, but like who's kind of the good guy and bad guy?
0: Well, so in the early days of this conflict, so November, December, um, what happened was that Ethiopia basically invited Eritrea in because it had a like rubbish army and it knew that it wouldn't be able to beat these kind of guerrilla fighters from the former leaders. So Eritrea. I mean, some to to illustrate a point. Like there was a city, ancient city, in the middle of Tigray that I visited, and over three days, these Eritrean troops came in and they massacred like eight hundred people. But the the Ethiopian troops weren't doing it per se, but they were kind of just watching on the edge of the city. So it's almost like sending out a contract hit on these people by Ethiopia. Um, And the stuff that I've seen while I was out there, like I, I think you can pretty much definitively, definitively call. Eritrean's bad guys and what the Ethiopians are doing is is pretty evil as well um I mean there's been attacks carried out by these sort of old T- TPLF guys as well and they they're accused of atrocities but I mean sure like that that happens in war and that's that's horrific but yeah it's a full-on invasion and they're, they're attacking civilians with tank shells drones I mean Guns, machetes in some cases. Like it's pretty gruesome stuff.
1: Yeah. I saw a video about like what is the conflict? And it said that there were targeted airstrikes into Tigray, like targeted towards like military bases and all that. But a lot of it wasn't perfectly targeted. So a lot of nearby areas were bombed, churches, like hospitals, like all that stuff. Did you see that?
0: Yeah. I mean, the idea that you would accidentally hit a church on the top of a mountain that's nowhere near a village is kind of. It's kind of a bit hard to justify like I saw that loads they kind of it's just like a terror attack loads of the shelling was like right in the middle of cities you can see it everywhere yeah I mean it's a standard sort of excuse to wheel out that you're targeting military outposts but when the bombs only seem to be hitting churches and mosques and people's houses like I think that's pretty pretty weak.
1: So it's not even like some of them are hitting these the majority of them are actually hitting like the cities and whatnot.
0: No, I mean they pretty much flushed out these guerrilla fighters in the first like two or three weeks of the war. And then they the guerrillas reformed in the in the desert and the bush. Uh they kind of like and now they're just fighting outside of the main seas. So they kind of I saw one of these battles kind of starting, and it was like something you might see in like Red Alert. Like it was it's like two armies just pitching up in an open field ready to fight each other, which is so like weird it's like the first world war or something and that now, now the whole war's being fought in these kind of like outback regions and now the guerrillas have got loads and loads of recruits from young guys who've seen all sorts of horrific stuff so yeah i mean it's going to go on for a while
1: so what does it like look like like do you just see a desert and like maybe miles away or way off in the distance or even close like you just see these military groups with tanks and guns starting to prepare
0: yeah pretty much (laughs) it was like yeah i mean it was so bizarre i mean it was it was weird because when i was out there like i didn't see a lot of fighting because it's all going on away from the areas where the human rights abuses are carried out and i mean i'm more interested in speaking to the people who've been affected than chasing bombs around but the stuff that i saw was yeah i mean there was one day where we were pitching up in a village and all the people are like running down the street screaming, no, 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 no further, no further. And they're like, a battle is going to start. I'm like, that's weird. You we don't usually get like a warning like that. And then, yeah, we just see this snake of like trucks and tanks and rocket launchers just move into a position in the middle of the field. And we're like, all right, okay, let's get out of the way. They've got like snipers and stuff. And then we just went for a coffee a couple of yards away and then just hear all the bombs crashing around. Then it's done. And then like, you can go, down, you can go down the road now. Really weird
1: you weren't scared that like maybe a stray bomb was going to come your way
0: no i don't i mean i don't know whether it's my own stupidity or the experience of doing the stuff but i didn't get the feeling we were going to get hit although the people around me were really scared and actually we got stuck in a military convoy going through a valley one day and didn't realize until we kind of got out the other side that we were just sitting ducks in the middle like we could have easily been hit but I don't think so. Nah, the stuff that me and Danny talk about on the podcast is way more hairy to report. All
1: right, then I can't help but find it a little bit funny. Like, oh, you're just sitting with a coffee in my head. I'm picturing you drinking coffee. The whole place is shaking bombs, fire, all this stuff going on. It's almost like comedic. But at the same time, it's not because these people are surrounded by this literal war. Like that's like the one of the worst things humanity can do. So Mm -hmm. you said you saw people like freaking out where they like, I don't know, crying or stuff? Like, what kind of bad stuff did you see these people going through?
0: Yeah, I mean, I was speaking to tons of families of people who have been killed in in the war. It's like sexual violence is, like, through the roof. It's being used as a tool of war. So every single conversation I was having with people there would sort of devolve into tears, and it was really, really heartbreaking. But, I mean, even in the darkest war zones, like, people just live their life. So they're not actually fighting on the front lines. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to sit in your house crying all day. No, you go for a coffee, you go and see your friends, try and sort of make something. And yeah, like people don't have jobs. They're struggling to get food now. So staying together, kind of try and live a normal life. I guess that's what keeps people sane. Gotcha.
1: And I heard a big theme of what's going on is you kind of mentioned it was rape. And I Mm -hmm. even heard one soldier he said that he raped a woman because he was cleansing the bloodline.
0: Yeah, that's not that's not an uncommon story. Um, I'm actually like putting together my the, the draft of what I'm writing at the moment, and I was just going through this part that I'm that I'm writing, and it's like stories that I was told that I've put in bullet points are like woman being raped by twenty five men. There's a father who was shot in the head because he wouldn't rape his daughter in front of the troops, um, and there's a woman who's whose husband and son were shot dead and then they tied her to a post. So she'd have to watch them for like three days before she was picked up by medical workers. It's like pretty medieval stuff. Um, it's pretty hard to explain as well. Like the level of violence is unbelievable.
1: These soldiers, they're actually motivated in this war. It's not like America, Vietnam, where people were drafted and they just wanted to go back home. Like they actually want violence against the other side.
0: I guess the question is I guess I guess an example that sort of people in the west might know a bit better than Eritrea is North Korea right and you're always asking the question you know are those people who are cheering for Kim Jong un are they actually cheering for him or do they have to cheer for him and at some point it doesn't matter because they're still doing it right so yeah. the the dictator in Eritrea this guy Asis Afwerki he's built this kind of completely sealed off dictatorship His people are kind of like peasant slave army soldiers. They they sometimes just can't get out of military service ever. I mean, so many of the people that flee into Europe these days are from Eritrea because they've just got no future whatsoever. And he's managed to kind of dehumanize all of the people around him. So when his troops are going into like Tigray and they're the mortal enemy of the dictatorship, I mean, anything's anything's on the table so yeah i mean that is the only way that i could try and describe it but it's it's pretty hard to to sort of justify some of the stuff that's going on in any way
1: yeah that helps explain it but like you said it's hard to justify it
0: yeah Yeah. i mean it's not justifiable yeah Yeah. (laughs) i'd explain it that way but yeah it's um it's it's pretty awful
1: wow and what about, were there any people that stood out that you met during your travels, like that you interviewed or talked to?
0: Yeah, I mean, th- the story that I've chosen to focus on for my for the main story that I'm working on, so I'm doing a feature for GQ magazine and all this, and um, it's like a team, sports team of young men um, who suffered uh, in an attack kind of this Christmas. So in Ethiopia, that's Orthodox Christmas, which is January. And they were from an ethnic group right on the border, and they've kind of seen every conflict that's rolled in and out of that region in the last, like, 50 years. It's just always steamrolled straight through their town. So that kind of really stood out to me. And then you might have seen some reports on, like, CNN and stuff about, like, the hospitals there and kind of finding people have suffered there. Um, And, like, as grim as it is, the hospitals were just an endless source of people with Uh, stories about what happened so I mean the weirdest thing is like the stories that I'm telling you about these gang rapes and these horrific acts of violence like that's everyone everyone is telling these stories and you go into a town and the first thing that people will do there is take you to the side of the road and they're like that's a mass grave that's a mass grave that's a mass grave and then they'll tell you about how their friend was shot in the head or their cousin was strangled or something it's like every place these soldiers have just torn through these towns like Plagues of locusts stripped everything, looted the towns, killed loads of people. I mean, it's yeah, it's pretty, pretty crazy. It's pretty hard to focus on one thing when everything's so awful.
1: Yeah, for us, it's all extreme, but for them, like everybody, it's normal. Like it's just the everyday.
0: It's become so. I mean, you get old people that remember the days of the communists when they used to come over and, um, kill, kill your family members and not let you look at them and not let you cry. And you had to laugh when someone killed your family member. Um, Yeah, it's so twisted. And it's just like an extension of that. I mean, it's, but every single one of those people who were like in their 60s, 70s, they were like, it's worse now. This is way worse. So um, I hope that the international community gets off its backside and does something useful. And the US to its credit has started to sort of think about sanctions and stuff like that. But i mean i'm in the i live in berlin in germany and they are useless they <laughs> wow. issue sort of weak um, platitudes but yeah anyway i hope something gets done soon because it's it's really i don't see it ending anytime soon either
1: and the prime minister of what's his name Abiy ahmed yeah so they have their conflict with eritrea so they have this conflict going on for some years eritrea they become independent. 2019, the prime minister gets the Nobel Peace Prize because he settles peace with them. But now mm. it's literally worse than it was like 20 years ago.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he literally like leveraged the Nobel Peace Prize to start a war. And I, I mean, it's not even as like it is as simple as that. Like he literally used that Nobel Prize to to help like start a war. And he kind of had everyone, he kind of had like all the international community and the diplomats and everyone in his pocket because they loved him. They saw this like african reformer in a corrupt land and they see like either dollar signs or some kind of prize um but yeah like i think one of the guys i mentioned one of the guys i mentioned the peace prize to in Tigray, was like it's just like handing him a knife and pretty much the second he got it he he started using it
1: wow and you said like cnn and them they're reporting like i don't see much news so except maybe like twitter reddit social media but is this actually getting like reported on? And as you're just getting distracted with say the Israel-Palestine conflict, or is like this just sort of pushed off to the side, which is why I feel like most Americans don't even know about this.
0: Yeah, I mean, every time violence erupts in in Israel and Palestine, that that kind of sucks the air out of all the other news in the world, I guess. And not to like downplay what's going on there at all, like it's it's terrible, but. Yeah. This is, I mean, this conflict has taken the lives of almost 100,000 people already. Systemic ethnic cleansing, genocide, right? I mean, I don't know how much worse it can get before people really stand up and notice. I guess, unfortunately, 100,000 dead Africans doesn't, doesn't play very usefully on the news in the West. But there are some people doing good stuff. Al Jazeera has done some really good work. Um, the UK's Telegraph has got a guy who's done some great stuff. And the CNN team, who I met, actually, while I was out there, they, they've done some brilliant reporting. Their their work's well worth checking out. So, um, yeah, there is good stuff. But uh, whether it's going to make you a 6 o'clock news bulletin, I don't know, because it's going to take a lot to get on there.
1: You said a little bit about it, but what uh, what's America or even Europe, like, what are they doing? Are they taking any action?
0: I mean, the Europeans forget them. They're useless. But the Americans have sent this guy... I think it's more of a kind of lip service than anything else. But they sent a guy who's like a pretty experienced diplomat from that region. They brought him out of retirement. But he just said like, oh, Ethiopia is 10 times the size of Syria. If it if it kicks off here, then it could be 10 times as bad. Like, I mean, what does that even mean? But I mean, people seem to respect him. The people I've spoken to respect him. And um, your Secretary of State just put out some pretty strong statements um, and said, the U S is going to sort of launch sanctions against the Ethiopian state. So, I mean, that's something, I mean, they need, I guess they need money, but China basically runs all their projects anyway. So I don't know how much of a difference that's going to make. Uh, They
1: kind of put like a little bandaid on it or something like, Oh, we did something, but I mean, they will be fine financial. They'll still buy their militaries. They'll still keep going on. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. As long as there's money that we made on the rockets, they'll keep selling them. Yeah. So I don't hold out a lot of hope for the future in this war, unfortunately. I wish I had some like glimmer of uh, a sort of brighter future that I could talk about. But most people that I've spoken to actually think that this is gonna break up the empire, like break up Ethiopia. So it could, there's other regions now that are kind of seeing their opportunity to voice their concerns and there's protests and conflicts across the country. So yeah, I mean, it could be, it's not like over the top to say it could be the end. For the country as well after 3,000 years, yeah. You said
1: what was it, the longest empire earlier?
0: One of, I think, it, of. I feel like Egypt can, might consider itself an older country, but uh, there's not many, yeah.
1: Gotcha. And could um, Tigray could they end up going independent in the end, sort of like the other country, like Eritrea?
0: Um, I mean, they would say yes. I don't think they're going to get beaten on the battlefield, like they've got thousands and thousands of young men, they've got guns going back from the the cold war. So they're well tooled up. They're not going to, I don't think they're going to go away, but they don't really have any food. They don't have any agriculture. Um, the bit of the country that was like fertile or the bit of the region that was fertile was kind of like occupied by this other region next to it. So there's no way for them to get mu- uh, food or money. Their factories have all been destroyed by their trans Their young men have been massacred. So there's nothing really to build a country on. So a bit like Israel, Gaza, I kind of see this just ending in some piecemeal ceasefire deal and kind of rumbling on for a few years. Yeah. I mean, it's almost exactly the same as what happened in Eritrea 20 years ago.
1: And it's still early, like this started like two years ago, right?
0: Hmm. I, I, Abby came to power in 2018. Um, this kicked off last November. So it's just over six months now there's been like full on fighting. Yeah.
1: So this could, Uh, this could end in the next year or this could be another 30 year war.
0: Um, Yeah, I was speaking to some guy the other day and he's like, look, the last war here lasted like 17 years. There's no reason this one won't go on for as long as that. I don't think that Africa, like the African Union and the EU and the US would allow for that necessarily. But I think it's just the start. Yeah, I think it's turned into a different kind of war now. It's this kind of dirty guerrilla sort of asymmetrical conflict. And I mean, you know, America and Vietnam the war against the Taliban, like all of these conflicts just last forever. So um, yeah, don't expect it ending anytime soon. I hope I'm wrong.
1: Yeah, Uh, maybe they'll get another (laughs) Nobel Peace Prize because they'll end this one or something and it all works out.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, you know, if Joe Biden stops it, he might get one himself. We can all get one, why not?
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So who's winning the war right now though? Is it like a stalemate?
0: Yeah, so like, like I said earlier, like the initial days of the war, these kind of rebel groups, they were forming in the cities and they were fighting there, then they just got completely steamrolled by the Ethiopians and the Eritreans. But then they regrouped and now there's thousands of them and they're in the hills, they're in the valleys and the canyons. This place looks like the Grand Canyon, this region. And, you know, how do you beat a well armed guerrilla force armed to the teeth with mortars and AK forty sevens and grenades and whatnot, who know the land? They have this culture of martyrdom there. Going back to the communist times when they beat the communists back by the Soviet Union. I mean, these like ragtag local guys beat an entire country. So they don't think for a second they're going to get beaten this time. And I don't think they will either. So I think it's just like just rolling on. It's just going to be low level violence for a while.
1: So you don't see them losing. But at the same time, it's unlikely they'll be able to say take over Ethiopia or like do the reverse.
0: Yeah, I don't see them taking over the state. I don't really see them getting independence, but there's no reason for them to stop fighting, right? I mean, if you've seen your entire family murdered in front of your eyes, I don't think you're gonna be keen on a ceasefire. I think you're just gonna go for it until you die. So and that's the kind of story that I that I got from lots of these young guys that are joining the cause now. So I don't I don't see that ending anytime soon.
1: Yeah, you could literally see this as like the beginning of 40 years from now, it's like, oh, that conflict that went on for 30 years is still going on. Oh, it started back in 2020. Like, I could easily see it continuing from what you're describing.
0: Oh, for sure. be I mean, um, a big one. Yeah, and when the other regions kind of dig their claws in as well and uh, start fighting back against the government, then it's it's easy to see that the whole country might break up. It could be the, the downfall, yeah.
1: So what's going on with the neighbors? Like, Are they involved or are they just watching the show?
0: Uh, so uh, Somalia is like next to Ethiopia and it's got plenty of its own problems. Um, it's probably like the weakest state in the world. They've been allegedly helping out uh, the Ethiopian side. Sudan is on the other side. Loads of refugees from Tigray have fled to Sudan across the border. Egypt is involved. There's this other kind of aspect to it, which is that Ethiopia has built this giant dam on the River Nile going to completely screw over the Sudanese and the Egyptians. So this guy, Abiy Ahmed, was already making a lot of enemies in the region. I think he even went to Kenya once and said that Kenya's on the southeast side of it. And he said that something like megalomaniacal, like, I've brought the sun with me and I'm the king of Ethiopia. I mean, he does think that he's he was told by his mother that he would be emperor of Ethiopia. So I don't know why these think people thought he was like a democratic reformer. So there's all kinds of like mini geopolitical scuffs kicking off all over. And now he's kind of backed himself into a corner where the only friend he has is the guy in Eritrea who's never had an election, is a full dictator and is murdering people across the border. So that kind of doesn't bode well for the future of this like young kind of like prosperity gospel, fresh faced guy.
1: So even though they have like the power momentum right now with all the countries sort of against them and like what you described, it's making it seem like leaning towards him being the bad guy. It could just like collapse on him in the next year, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's got this election that he was supposed to have, um, I think, like maybe two months ago or something like that. Uh, I might be wrong about that, but he definitely postponed it for a second time last week or the week before. So you know, he's trying to hedge his bets now and stay in power already. Delaying elections isn't particularly democratic thing to do. So he can only really go one way. And that's to kind of go like sort of double down and keep getting more and more autocratic, authoritarian. Otherwise, like, what's the point of him now? He's kind of started this war for pretty much, you know, no reason. He didn't have to start this war at all. But now that he's done this, and now that he's kind of cracked down on these people and cause sort of this human rights abuses there's there's no place for him to go other than out or further gotcha okay
1: you said you talked to some like these uh kids or young adults or adults who are like fighting in the war because they joined because their families were murdered What was like the takeaway from why like you're reporting like what are you gonna write about as a result of this
0: i think the main thing to to focus on i think the main thing that's kind of not being written about or spoken about enough is that history repeats itself right and this region i mean even the towns that i'm writing about on the border of the two countries they've been through maybe not as bad as this but they've been through this before and they've done it 20 years ago and they did it 40 years ago and they did it when the italians invaded and they did it before that when the emperor got pissed off and tried to take things over Like it just goes round and round and round and no lessons are learned. And I think we all make this mistake in our countries. We all see our own history repeating all the time. I mean, we're seeing it in, I'm in the UK at the moment with my folks and the country's starting to like rally against migrants and getting all right populist. And we've been here, we've been here before in Europe. (laughs) It didn't go well. We had that for like the past four years
1: before this last year.
0: (laughs) Oh God. Yeah. don't even mention it. Um, and I mean, you know, in the States, you just had four years of extremely interesting politics that yeah. kind of sent you down a similar path. And yeah, I think that's not being spoken about enough. I don't think people know that this conflict isn't being fought in a vacuum. Like it's, it's steeped in history. It's like kind of tells the whole story of Ethiopia in its modern era, like through this conflict. Um, and that's what I'm hoping to get out in my story. And that's why it's taken so long. And that's why I'm, I'm pulling my hair out.
1: <laughs> I feel like the reason this history keeps repeating itself is because people know history repeats itself. They're like afraid to have it happen. But at the same time, people like what they know. So, like when they see like UK or America or whatever, like we like the safety of the bad politicians that we know, which might lead us in that same cycle on and on.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to put like one single, opinion over it, but it does seem that we just can't shake the idea that there are certain people who should rule us and there are certain qualities that we admire. And they don't sort of dovetail with they don't really dovetail with a kind or a better society, in my opinion. I mean we we love a good strong man, we love people shouting at other people, giving them nicknames, being kind of buffoonish or just being loud in business, politics, sport, whatever. Is that actually getting us anywhere? Maybe not. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I heard Um, for like I just heard when presidents or something, somebody told me once, but when they take action, even if it's not necessarily a good thing, if they take action and they say, OK, we're going to do this, people will support it because of that sort of dictate, not dictatorship, but that sort of I will take the action and do it myself, which is sort of feeds into what you just said.
0: Yeah, there's the kind of Twitter refrain, right, which is every time that Donald Trump was saying something dumb or doing something stupid, there would be people going, all right, this is the day that he became a president. This is the day <laughs> he became presidential. And it just, like, repeats and repeats. But you you see it on, like, even on MSNBC, you see people saying, like, when he launches a bomb attack in Afghanistan, they're like, this is action. This is a real president. And like, are you serious, <laughs> all right, cool. Yeah, I'm kind of for the peace side. I I would rather that. <laughs> yeah, They're, I mean, if they were two sides, I would be definitely going for peace. But I mean, people don't like it. And this is kind of like autocracy. Ultimately, a lot of people just want to be looked after by a guy with jack boots and a loud voice. Yeah, and then ha- the same is happening in Ethiopia. Was
1: it like really eye-opening for you in the sense that you hear like shootings or stuff like that in America, whatnot. I went to shoot a gun the other day because for a heck of it, let me shoot it. And then when I shot at the target, it sort of dawned on me, like, wow, this thing's actually like if that hits you, yeah, people always say, Oh, you'll get hurt, you'll die possibly. But it sort of opened my eye, like, wow, this thing's strong. So when you yeah. go to Ethiopia, is it like, yeah, up oh, here in America, like, oh, we hear this conflict, we hear that conflict. Say this many thousands or people die. And it's like, oh, those are big numbers. But was it really eye opening to actually see, like, wait this is actually what's going on. This is wow.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's why it's really difficult to read kind of like armchair analysis of this kind of stuff. Cause if you're not in the middle of it and you don't head to these countries, you don't really get a sense of like what cost these things have. Um, And there was a moment in uh, this city in Tigray, where this guy was just telling me all these like horrific things, this place where, where the 800 people were killed. And you couldn't see it, right? Because people were just going around a normal day. Like it was three or four months afterwards. Um, you had to really peer around to look for the evidence of this stuff like in the flesh. But then when he took me around the back of this church and he showed me all these kind of like hastily put up mass graves, my translator would like broke down in tears. She could barely get off the floor. Everyone was just so sad and that's kind of when it hits you. yeah, I mean and, and each one of these mass graves was holding like 20 to 30 men or women. So that that kind of like getting a scope and the breadth of this kind of stuff, yeah, I don't know it leaves an impression on you for sure.
1: Wow. It's kind of a hard thing to answer because I'm sure like a bunch of politicians oh and it's such a crazy conflict, but how would you sort of solve this issue? like what approach do you think would help nullify
0: and calm everything down? Good question. Um, I mean, the, the wars become so ideological. It's hard to, like, see a way that you bring everyone to the table. I would focus on making Eritrea the kind of the bad guy. I would focus on extending an olive branch to Abiy Ahmed in Ethiopia and cutting Eritrea out of that deal, not allowing them to work together and also giving be a way a way to like sort of publicly denounce Eritrea because I think he sooner like get rid of them than he ever did invite them in so I think that might be the key to get them at the table with these TPLF guerrillas now I just I think one thing despite what I think is going on I think one thing that's totally lacking from all of this is people asking that question no one is asking how this is going to end no one in Ethiopia wants it to end if you go online the discourse is just toxic it's horrible so yeah to bring people to the negotiating table is gonna be really really hard but i don't think you need to act in good faith against a sort of military dictator in this tin pot tiny little country like you can you can cut him out and maybe he'll get over front
1: so is it kind of like world war ii italy where mussolini joined the axis power but the people didn't really like him and eventually were able to overthrow him is it like the same sense where this guy just wants to go to war, but the people in the country itself don't really want to go to war.
0: Yeah. I mean, that, that kind of idea changes on who you speak to, but yeah, a lot of people do think that this is like Isaiah the dictator. This is like, um, adventurism and kind of military escapades that he can't afford to do. I think he survived a coup pretty recently. And the only, the only thing this guy seems to understand is just like starting wars. I mean, he's got this like slave army. Of like hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, he might as well he has to use them, I guess. Otherwise, they're just sitting around doing nothing, basically in prison. So he has to go to war. The more people they lose, you can't just keep having your men and women be killed all the time. otherwise citizens are gonna get pretty peed off. So yeah, I think that I think that one sort of lesser known part of this story is that this could bring down Ethiopia, which is a, like one of the biggest countries in the world and really important. But it could also bring down Eritrea, um, and that wouldn't be a bad thing.
1: Oh, all right. I heard also uh, maybe e- that's
0: the maybe that's the glimmer of hope.
1: <laughs> yeah, in the end, it works out. The what ends justify the means, even though not in that case. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great thing. <laughs> yeah. well, I also heard Ethiopia is sort of like the anchor of that whole region. Like I heard. For the, some time being, the countries were at conflict with each other around, but Ethiopia's been like the, like I said, the anchor, the one thing that's held it steady.
0: Mm, it so is, could, yeah. So could yeah.
1: this conflict sort of cause like a whole small, like Africa world war among them all?
0: Yeah, Africa's had its kind of version of the world wars with, uh, well, I mean, it was used in the world wars anyway, but Africa had the Congolese wars, which dragged in the whole continent millions of people in the 90s and early 2000s, but yeah that's one reason that people were kind of peeing their pants about this regional conflict because ethiopia is 110 million people the countries around it would not even make up that combined and i mean yemen's just across the red sea that's in perpetual civil war somalia's government barely controls the garden outside its parliament building eritrea is a complete mess sudan is a military dictatorship Kenya is a corrupt, but growing somewhat democratic country. I mean, all of, and there's Djibouti, but whatever, that's just an American air base, but um, it's, yeah, it's really, really dangerous. And like I said, I mean, if Tigray with 7 million people or 6 million people can take on this entire country and score military victories, then the neighboring region called Amhara That's got, I think, like 20 million people. The region below it, Aromia, which is the biggest one, that's got I think like 37 million. Like these are big, big places. And and both of those are angling for some form of independence. So if they all kick off at the same time, it's gonna be complete chaos and bedlam. Wow.
1: And right now, can like Tigray like can they still vote in the elections and yeah, like can they still vote in the elections and have their old uh TPLF come back to power democratically?
0: They would say yes, but no. The kind of reason that they kicked off in the first place is that they were cut out of the government altogether. Um, And then they staged this like kind of phony election. And then they got routed out of the cities in the war. And now they're kind of, they've morphed into this, they've gone back to what they were in the 70s, which is just this kind of like scrubland guerrilla band of rebels. So whether they, politically powerful probably not but it's it's not really a political question there anymore i mean there's no politics happening and i spoke to loads of people who kind of hated them actually kind of like tigrayans like really disliked them but um they I mean, were they were the, like well we're on a war thing now
1: so the tigrayans were disliked or they disliked elsewhere they
0: disliked the tplf like, oh, their okay. own leaders. Because there's this, this kind of fallacy that everyone says that like everyone's in love with the CPLF there, but it's not true. But they're on a war footing now, so you just kind of rally behind the troops, right? So now they're popular. So Ethiopia has kind of shot itself in the foot and made an unpopular or a reasonably popular bunch of corrupt old cronies popular again.
1: Wow. You know what the Onion is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They did a funny video way back. I forget what it was. I think it was the Middle East. But it's the title is top journalists or top scientists or top they all agree that the situation in the Middle East is complicated, and for the two <laughs> minutes, it's just them saying, "Yeah, it's pretty complicated." Yep, complicated, and like just saying nothing. <laughs> and I kind of feel like that, where like this is like, no, you are saying, I am not saying you are saying nothing, but it's it's just very yeah. complicated. Wow, it is.
0: <laughs> I mean, there is the thing is like it's my job just to go out and see this stuff and write about it, like. I can, I give you my opinion, but I'm not, I'm not like the leader of the African union, like these are the guys that should be getting their finger out and doing something and no one's really saying anything useful and sanctions. Like, I mean, sanctions hurt the people in the countries. They don't necessarily hurt the leaders and like for a country that doesn't really trade in dollars that much, like that's not going to make much of a difference. Like once I, I went out to Burma and did this story about gangsters out there. And the the Justice Department late, like banned them, or like later slapped a sanction on this like organized crime unit. And they're like, well, these guys don't ever go to America. They don't care about America. They don't do it in dollars. Like, why do they give a toss? They don't. So it needs something a bit more than that. I mean, I don't know what the UN's for. Like, I don't really see them doing anything. They seem pretty useless to me as usual.
1: Yeah, their whole thing's to like stop genocide or ethnic cleansing and. I heard they're using a new term, like, do you know what it is? Like ethnic.
0: Oh, no. Well, let's all, let's all get on board with their new definitions of genocide.
1: Yeah. I wish I had the note, but it's a new word. It's like ethnic something. I just forget what the second word was, but that was is just when you. Hit- up,
0: yeah. I mean, this is typical though, like guys in suits, hand wringing over the words they should be using when it's kicking off right under their noses. I mean, they did the same in Rwanda. They like just got all the rich people out just before it was kicking off, didn't leave any peacekeepers there apart from a few that got killed. And then eight hundred people thousand people died in in like 100 days. So, uh, yeah, I don't think Africans in particular hold out much hope for the UN. Yeah,
1: I wouldn't, especially after that. And definitely <laughs> wouldn't um, put some faith in them. Hopefully they do something, but...
0: Don't hold your breath.
1: All right. Is there any final thing about Ethiopia that you want to address that I missed out on?
0: I just think I would urge people to like, even if it's just like reading a handful of like old news stories, read up on the history of the country because it's fascinating. Like there's so much interesting stuff. And like I said, these cycles of violence that are now gripping the country once more. Like if you look into the history and you just read like a section on Wikipedia and see how the communists gave way to the like corrupt officials and stuff like this, you'll see all this played out and you'll get a much better grip on what's going on. Definitely watch CNN's reports as well on YouTube or where they are. Cause they're good.
1: Sounds good. And the final question I'd ask is, do you have any final message for the audience? Would that be your final message? Or do you have like another final message you'd say?
0: I'd say take notice. I mean, it's, it's so easy to follow the news and, and think that that's everything that's going on in the world, but like there's still military violence in Myanmar. I mean, there's still political repression in Russia and there's still a genocide in Tigray, so just keep an open mind when you're when you're listening to the, when you're listening or watching your news or wherever you consume it, and just don't watch cable news networks. <laughs> just don't bother. Just spend your time online; it's better.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I use Reddit. I'm sure it's not the best, but I just feel like even using that, I see a lot of different articles and not mm-hmm. an agenda being pushed for me.
0: Yeah, people just need to switch the TV off because I think that's one of the biggest problems.
1: Gotcha. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks so much, Sean, for coming out to the show.
0: Cool, man. It's been a pleasure. Cheers.
1: And for the audience, this is Sean Williams. You can find him at seanwilliams.com. If you go in the podcast, you'll see a link in the description, radio, go to podcast. Yeah. And also the underworld podcast, you can find them there. And this has been the way podcast FM 91.7 WHS stores at the top of the hour. And as always deuces. This has been the way podcast. If you want to know more about The Way Podcast, go to podcasttheway.com.